What you're about to hear is an encore presentation of my Back to the Future podcast with Stephen Fishback, originally heard on Rob Has a Podcast back on June 13th, 2011. For years, fans have fallen in love with the story of a young man called a slacker by some who aspires to bring his unique sound to a world which may not be ready for it. He enlists the help of his brainy, eccentric, and slightly unhinged friend whose unconventional ways are constantly mocked by the community of his peers. But enough about the Survivor know-it-alls, because today is the day that Marty McFly traveled to in the year 2015 in the film Back to the Future Part 2. Now, while not everything that was happening on October 21st, 2015 in Hill Valley was canon, on the real October 21st, 2015, it's a great time to revisit one of my favorite podcasts that we ever did. So since Back to the Future is a film which takes place through many different points on the space-time continuum, it's interesting to pinpoint the time at which this podcast occurs in the RHAP timeline. This show was recorded in June of 2011, about 16 months after the start of Rob Has a Podcast. So please forgive the 2011-ness of the audio. This was also a year before Stephen Fishback and I would record the first Survivor Know-It-Alls podcast. June of 2011 would also be exactly four years before Stephen Fishback would return to Survivor for a chance to rewrite history. I hope you enjoy this special presentation. So set your time circuits to 2011 as we go fish back to the future. the guy who's podcasting with 1.21 gigawatts of electricity, Rob Sesternino. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very special edition of Rob Has a Podcast. I am Rob Sesternino, and I'm so very excited to be finally doing this. So this is something that I'm going to cross off my bucket list after this is completed. I'm going to waste no time in bringing in Doc Fishback himself, Stephen Fishback, uh, you know you know him from Survivor, frequent guest on this very podcast. Uh, Stephen, it is very great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rob. And Stephen, I have to tell you, I, I've, you know, since I, the day that I fell in the bathroom and hit my head on the toilet and thought of the idea of doing a podcast, uh, this has been very high up on the list of podcasts that I wanted to do, the Back to the Future podcast. Well, that's, that's heavy stuff. I'm glad to be a part of it. <laughs> and the thing, the thing about me though is I, I'm very nervous right now because I'm just, I'm just afraid that if something goes wrong with this and people don't like this podcast, I'm just afraid I won't be able to deal with that kind of rejection. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we'll have to, I don't know. I got nothing. 
This is a bad beginning. We need to, we need to go back. We need to fix this mistake. No, go back to the start of this podcast. We, and fix we, it. we risk changing the whole space time continuum, and we can't do that. So we just have to keep moving forward. But for the sake of my children, we need to we need to fix it, and, and our children together, we need to fix this. <laughs> Wait, we're having children together. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so Back to the Future for the uh, uninitiated. Uh, Back to the Future 1 came out in 1985 and followed by a sequel, Back to the Future 2 in 1989 and Back to the Future 3 in 1990. I don't know exactly why these movies became so important to me, uh, particularly the first one. Uh, I can't give you a good reason why this movie stood out over any other particular movie of that time. Uh, great story. Got some sci-fi elements, uh, a little bit of a mythology there. Uh, I went to go see it in the movie theater. It was the kind of movie that your parents could take you to. They could enjoy it as well. Uh, I think it was on HBO every day uh, at some point in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so you, this really, I'm so, okay. So, I mean, you, you know, we've been talking about this podcast for a while. Back to the Future seemed a little bit arbitrary to me, except, you know, that it had its uh, 25th anniversary or whatever, or 20th anniversary or whatever it was recently. 25th. 25th, right, because 30 is, obviously the big upcoming one yes um and the uh you know i I thought that was the only hook but but this is an important movie for you i didn't very important movie probably uh definitely one of my top five favorite movies of all time wow where where in the top five is it i don't you know i wasn't prepared to answer that question today i have to (laughs) i have to make a list i don't i couldn't even tell you the top five off the top of my head but yeah very very high up on the list uh maybe the movie that i may have seen more than any other movie or at least very very high up on that list and very very excited so let's let's get right into it steven uh you know it you don't need no credit cards to ride this train of the Back to the Future podcast. We're going to jump right into it. Uh, and Stephen, I'm going to, I have a lot of different, like, big categories of things. I have several pages of notes here that I, that I want to get to. And okay. so, uh, we're, we're going to bounce around a lot through the space time continuum and, th- and through the movies. <laughs> but I guess, uh, some, I have some big questions that I want to talk about with the Back to the Future. And uh, I guess I want to start off of some uh, unanswered questions of what is the exact nature of the relationship between Marty and Doc? You have Marty, the 17 year old, 18 year old guy who's a high school student and then local uh, crackpot scientist, uh, <laughs> Dr. Emmett Brown. How did these two become uh, such close friends? And in the first scene of the movie, you know, Marty feels the liberty to break into Doc's apartment and essentially destroy it, you know? And, like, there's not, like, right? Like, doesn't he, like, kind of wreck whatever science experiments are happening in? Like, so there's... <laughs> well, one of my categories here in my notes are, uh, I have some questions about Doc's ability as a scientist, because I, I, there's some of these scientific experiments that Doc are doing that I, I really don't know if I would qualify them as scientific experiments, which uh, you bring up the scene where Marty goes to Doc's house. Well, uh, in one of Doc's experiments is that he just has a giant amplifier, and we don't really know why he has this, but he's just built a, a giant amplifier uh, that we later learn may be uh, a, a little uh, overmodulated. I forget what exactly he says is the problem, but uh, uh, well, that, it's like setting up the MTV gag, right? Like in, in it, because then in it, like like. Um Marty like plays the note and he's like dressed up like the kid from that classic MTV commercial who's just like overwhelmed with sound, like blown back by the TV. Um, and, and, and this sort of gives some like my frustration with the first 15 minutes of that movie, which are just 
incredibly boring, you know, and it's just like filled with like in jokes, like eighties in jokes like that one. And like no interest at all. See, I but, didn't get um, that reference, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean it doesn't like, exist. Yeah, no, I mean, I, that's why that's that part of the movie does not age well. And I, I, I was, um, you know, in preparing for this podcast, because as I, as I prepare for all of our podcasts, um, I wa- I rewatched the movies, of course, and, you know, I was rewatching with my girlfriend who had, hadn't seen them incredibly. And somehow I got, you know, I guess had missed the eighties entirely and just like sort of sprung into being in the, in the aughts. Um, but she, she was, you know, totally bored. And in fact, was ready to bow out by minute 15, you know, when they finally go back to the past. Um, and, and fortunately, you know, soldiered on through, but yeah, I think the beginning is, is, is filled with those jokes. But anyway, um, Slow the, beginning, slow beginning of Back to the Future One. It doesn't doesn't exactly uh, hold up, but uh, I do have to say, going back and watching this movie, uh, these movies, I really I took copious notes through the mo- the films. I have to say, I did not enjoy the films going through them with this sort of detail. I think it may be a movie that uh, if you don't pay as close attention to it, you enjoy it more. Oh, I love number one again. Like I love watching number one again. I mean, that was like a rediscovery. I mean, I guess you obviously have it in your canon. I mean, two and three were obviously, you know, they sucked ass, but, but the rest, <laughs> the rest of them were the number one was great. Um, yeah, Doc, it is kind of creepy. Marty's relationship with Doc, like, you know, I mean, even in the first introduction we have to him is when, um, that principal guy who recurs to the movies refers to him as like some local nut job, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> principal Strickland. Yeah. Uh, he does. He doesn't seem to speak highly of the doc. No. Uh, <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about principal Strickland uh, more in a, in a bit, but uh, I have some th- working theories as to uh, what's going on here with uh, doc and Marty. Uh, is it possible that, Doc, that Marty could be uh, getting some weed for Doc. Is that, <laughs> is that possible that Marty is Doc's uh, weed dealer? <laughs> well, he is sort of like a local rebel, right? Like, I mean, you know, he's he's engages in drag races with Flea. He, uh, you know, he plays music that's too crazy in the high school battle of the bands. Yeah. And it's definitely not a normal relationship to have, you know, with a kooky old dude. So you're right. It has to be something that's a little bit transgressive. I mean, I, I would totally buy it being a drug, a drug dealer. There's you some, know. there's something going on there. It's never really is explained. I thought that something that would make sense was if uh, Doc was a friend of George McFly and right, he was sort of a family friend. Yeah. But it doesn't seem there seems to be no relationship between George McFly and Doc. No, and you know it's questionable whether anyone even knows about Doc in, in like this other universe. You know, he's a sort of like uh, a Snuffleupagus character, where uh, you know no one else seems to really acknowledge the presence of Doc. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, yet in the alternate Biff timeline in Back to the Future Two, he when he he gets sent to uh, he's uh, sent to the uh, mental institution. Uh, that is front page news in the Hill Valley newspaper. Oh, you're, right. you're right, you're right. Above the fold too. I think it's like the number one story of the edition. Yes, a little lunatic finally incarcerated. <laughs> He's a real menace. Um, so speaking of Doc, uh, here's one that's always uh, sort of been uh, a little bit uh, prickly for me. How old is Doc? Because he seems to be the exact same age in both 1985 and 1955. Well, and there's that scene. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I mean, how much? I don't know how much you want to jump around between the movies. There's a scene in um, 
Feel free to jump around. In the in the beginning of the second movie, which is so weird and incongruous, where he peels off his age makeup and is like, I just had this rejuvenating treatment done and is now like looks young, you know, which is just bizarre because, you know, you never even were aware that he looked old until he peeled off the age makeup and he like looks basically the same. And I think it's to account for just, you know, a convenient way to get Christopher Lloyd out of his old age makeup. Um, but yeah, presumably in like 1955, he's what in his, he looks like he's in his seventies and in every, every (laughs) he seems like he's exactly the same. Uh, I mean, is he wearing old age makeup in 1985? Well, that, I mean, I I think I would need to go back and watch the first movie because my thought was, Oh, like they must've had him in age makeup in the first movie in the 85 scenes. And they didn't want us to just, like do that for the entirety of the rest of the trilogy. So they had this like ridiculous, you know, explanation. Oh yeah, I got a rejuvenating treatment. And then, but I didn't want to scare you when I first picked you up. So I left on this age makeup, and he, then he pulls it off, and it's like, yeah. Do you remember this scene? Yeah, of course I remember. Um, I think that there there was something. It had something to do with uh, actually Christopher Lloyd's. Uh, actual appearance, like something, I feel like something had changed in Christopher Lloyd's actual appearance, and that's why they they had done that. But I'm sure somebody w- who has more information about that, like there's some actual reason why they had to do it. Um, and I don't it's remember like a hard four years for Christopher Lloyd's I, career. Well, like they had the thing in uh, the original Star Wars movie where Mark Hamill, uh, right. like right. Had, like some disfigurement. That went on between uh, Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, and then he crashed his motorcycle, yeah, right? Crashed motorcycle or whatever. And so then they had they like wrote uh, they had the scene where uh, the monster uh, gets him early on in Empire Strikes Back. So yeah. uh, I don't know if there's something like that, but uh, we'll we'll try not to get too much into the production of the films and stay on the on the actual films themselves. That's what this podcast is about. Okay, so, so we don't actually know how. Give me a guess. Give me a ballpark. How old is Doc in 1955? I mean, forty. He's forty. So you say he's seventy in? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's impossible. You can't do the math like that. I mean, I guess the the best you could do is say he's thirty five in fifty five, and then he's sixty five in nineteen eighty. But that doesn't that is a old looking thirty five. <laughs> it's pretty old looking thirty five. Yeah. I I don't know. It's very it's very interesting. Um, <laughs> let me ask a, a few more just big picture questions, uh, Stephen. What do you think? is the controlling force in the back to the future universe. Do you think that it is free will or do you oh. think that it is destiny? That's, that's a big one. You can't just blindside. I need we need some build up to that. My God, that's, um, well, I don't, I, I don't know that I'm, that's the biggest thing that I'm sort of left with. And I think the film sort of leave this, uh, unclear, like there isn't are it free will? Like doesn't isn't it like constantly? Like isn't that like the final takeaway at the end of the third movie? Like, like as like Doc is chugging into space in his space train, he says something like, you know, and the future is what you make of it. So go out and choose things or whatever. Yes, yeah, yes. I have his his exact line here, um, which. Uh, I was perhaps talk about that later. I'm I'm so, I'm I'm so confused of jumping all over the place. Yeah. Uh, so I I had this in my, uh, in my category called a general back to the future three weirdness. Uh, and I felt like there's a few things going on in that scene. Uh, 
well, one of the the thing that I was uh, specifically keyed on is I thought that Doc uh, comes off a little flip to Jennifer in that scene that she says, uh, she says, uh, Doc, I brought this paper back from the future, but it erased. And he says, uh, of course it erased. Like, uh, like uh, you idiot. <laughs> and so he does say to her, uh, your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has your future is whatever you make of it. So make it a good one. And then I'm saying to myself, well, what are we wasting our time here for over the last three movies? Yeah. Um, Maybe Doc is just trying to like create, you know, make a justification to Jennifer and Marty so that they don't, you know, get that, get pissed at him for stealing all the time travel technology for themselves. Yeah, and it's just seemed rather implausible that Doc is able to build a uh, time traveling train. I mean, we spent the, uh, you know, most of Back to the Future two and all of Back to the Future three with Doc saying we have we must destroy the time machine. Time machine is is garbage. We it's it's ruining everything. It's ruined my right. life time machine hate the time machine and then we should we find out that uh doc has somehow uh decided to build a time traveling train but it's through the power of love right like mary stewart masterson has transformed his uh you know his, his understanding of the universe yeah um, you have a very limited appreciation for the power of love. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take money. It doesn't take fame. Uh, <laughs> so I, I guess I do underestimate it. I guess let's keep the fate versus free will as sort of like a on the back burner throughout this conversation. And it may be something that we come back to a number of times as we discuss uh, some of the other things uh, that well, happen. Like, I mean, there, there, there do seem to be some like set things that happen, you know, and well, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but you know, they're, they're, when like when they travel back and forth between times, like the changes that are made are incredibly localized. You know, like mm-hmm. not at all the spiraling. Like even even when Biff, for example, like starts betting on um, you know sports teams and, and, and apparently gets enough power to control a city and like control politics, you'd think that would actually affect the sports results. Like at some point in oh, time. Yes. Yeah. I actually, uh, I mean, I think there's a point of diminishing returns in Biff's uh, sporting results because yeah. I think at some point that Biff uh, owns a team and then that throws, uh, that throws everything off. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, everything would get thrown off, you know I mean? Because the, the premise is that every, every tiny little thing, you know, it's, it's like in, in that, in that wonderful back to the future, um, homage hot tub time machine when like the squirrel like fucks up all of like the past <laughs> right I, see, no? I, I feel like the movie is a little bit at odds with uh, butterfly effect where I feel like right. uh, the butterfly effect you know you change one thing you change everything in, in this in the back to the future universe it's sort of like you change one thing one thing changes it doesn't, yeah, exactly. it, there's not a ripple effect that goes on yeah. too much to the point that, like, Marty is basically exactly the same, like, somehow Marty and Jennifer's life is exactly the same, except, like, the size of their house changes and their general, not Marty and Jennifer, I'm sorry, um, Crispin Glover and, and, yes, uh, George and Lorraine. George and Lorraine, yeah. Like, as, as things, and you, you've mentioned this before, that, like, as, as, uh, you know, as Marty makes changes, like, nothing else changes in their life. You know, the order of the kids, like, yeah. how, you know, what the kids are, what the kids are doing changes. But like Marty is apparently like, you know, exactly the same. And in every future, he's going to the lake with Jennifer. It's just like the only difference is the car he's going in. <laughs> yeah. So I guess this is a good point. Uh, the, 
this sort of brings me back to the free will uh, versus fate in the Back to the Future universe. And this leads me to believe more that it's fate is the driving force in the Back to the Future universe. Because uh, at the point where Marty and his parents uh, gets them back together uh, and that, you know, George McFly has like this burgeoning career as a writer. I mean, are you telling me that George and, and Lorraine had sex at the exact same moment in both uh, timelines to have the exact same kids be born like right. there's no there's no way that if this was real that marty would uh still be born yeah, they live in the same i think they live in the same house right it's just like done up a little bit better yeah they live in they live in the same house and uh yeah everything is exactly the same except for uh their careers obviously uh they are all uh doing better financially they're able to uh buy a nice truck and and surprise marty with it and right. that's all very good uh, the o- the older son Dave, uh, he instead of working at Burger King, he now works in an office. But I think that Dave McFly is a bit of a poser. Why is that? Well, for one, you know, uh, you know, Marty says to him at breakfast, like uh, he's like, uh, Dave, you know what the, what the hell are you wearing? And he's like, Marty, I always wear a suit to the office. But yet, <laughs> yet uh, he still lives at home. You know, <laughs> he can't be doing that great. And then in Back to the Future Three, they uh, Marty comes back on a Sunday morning after going to uh, Back to the Future Three, and they're going to brunch, and he's wearing a suit. Like, come on! There's also like there's also a level of like if if, if you did wear a suit every day to the office, and someone asked you what the hell are you wearing, you'd be like, oh my god, what's wrong with my suit? You know, like that would be your reaction. You wouldn't be like. You, you wouldn't think the person is questioning your suit. So I think that Dave is a, a bit of a pose. No need to be wa- for Dave McFly to be wearing a suit to go to brunch on a Sunday. <laughs> just, it was the 80s people wore suits and did coke you know he was probably all all juiced up from the night before i, I guess so uh, yeah. maybe he's he's really uh is like barney from how i met your mother yeah exactly exactly totally <laughs> suit up marty let's go to brunch i don't want to comment on people's physical appearances but the sister that's not the sister is so unattractive i've never seen a yes. woman actress who is that unattractive yet uh she has a bunch of dates with guys named greg or craig you know how is she getting any dates at all especially in this crazy 80s when everyone is a good-looking actor and uh She's yeah. the least attractive person in, in cinema. She's a bit Meg Griffin-ish, uh, Marty's sister. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't, I don't know. Unfortunately, yeah, the changing of the space-time continuum could not make her any more attractive. <laughs> She's slightly more attractive, but yeah. that's, that's, that's about it. Um, <laughs> and I, I do feel bad uh, speaking. We're talking about the McFly family. Uh, I do feel bad that, uh, no matter what happens in the space time continuum, uh, Uncle Joey is doomed to a life in prison in every conceivable <laughs> timeline. <laughs> well, let's just show, you know, maybe that speaks to the nature versus nurture question. You know, Joey's got, he's, he's got, uh, and put Uncle Joey too would not really be affected uh, his childhood by these changes in the, um, you know, by these changes. Uh, no, maybe not per se, but uh, I'm fascinated with Uncle Joey. Uh, I want to know what did Uncle Joey Joey Baines do <laughs> that led to him in prison? Yes, because he's not only is he in prison in the original 1985, right. uh, he's in he's in prison in the 
uh, to, in 2015, he's, he's, uh, I think he's in, I would imagine he's in, yeah, he's in prison in the 1985 before Marty changes everything. Uh, he's even in the lawless 1985 where Biff runs everything. Uncle Joey is still in jail. What could he have done? And what in 1955, of course, he's in the, uh, crib. He's behind in the crib, bars. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a bad egg, you know. Once you've exhausted your three strikes, maybe he's just, you know, repeat offender. Yeah, I think that Uncle Joey would be pretty pissed to find out that uh, the McFly family has access to a time machine, and they're not even <laughs> like, not, not even in consideration to try to uh, help him out. <laughs> it's true; they're changing the laws of physics. Like maybe they could change the laws of the United States government a little bit. You would think so. Uh, <laughs> uh, how about this? Uh, we talked a little bit about this on Twitter the other day. Uh, I think we have differing opinions on who is the superior Jennifer Parker. Right. Now, uh, I think the superior Jennifer Parker is the original Jennifer Parker, uh, who is played by an actress named Claudia Wells. Uh, you prefer the Elizabeth Shue version of Jennifer Parker. Well, generally, Elizabeth Shue basically has the most thankless job in cinema. Her her entire role is like being discarded on various like park benches and things. <laughs> in, in the two movies that she's in, you know, including the re the reshoot of you know that that great like shot by shot remake of that scene that's the that starts Back to the Future two and ends Back to the Future one. Um, you know, even including that, she probably has less total screen time in the two in the two sequels than than Jennifer Parker one has in the, uh, the first one. But nevertheless, it's Elizabeth Shue. You know, it's like it's Adventures in Babysitting. You know, she was she was naked and, and leaving Las Vegas. My God, I mean, how do you how do you you know minimize it being Elizabeth Shue? I, I guess she is definitely the more recognized actress of the two. But I'm just saying, I think that I I. Thought that the original Jennifer Parker was, uh, she was doing it for me, and the new Jennifer Parker, uh, not as good. Cute, but I thought the original Jennifer Parker was hot. I think you're you're being poisoned by the fact that she just ends up lying on park benches in, in various locations. I think that's that's your uh, you know she doesn't have as much of a character as the original one. She has less to work with. Well, I have a bit of a beef with Doc's logic in uh, the alternate 1985, where they drop off Jennifer at her house and they just leave they just leave her there. Uh, <laughs> you know, for for all that her parents know, she was date raped or whatever, and they're just gonna put her. Let's just put her on a bench. Let's get out of here. Uh, <laughs> about production but can i make one remark about production absolutely which i sort of find like fascinating which is that you know i was i mentioned to you that like they apparently they had never planned on having a sequel and so when they were sort of contracted to do the sequel they they were stuck like the, like the sequel thing at the end of back to the future one was i guess a joke and then when they actually went back to do these sequels because the movie was such a runaway box office hit um they were stuck with Jennifer in the car, and they were like, what the F do we do with her? And so, of course, they came up with the incredibly elegant solution of dumping her on park benches out of the way, which is, you know, the most ridiculous use of any character in any in any film. Well, at one point, they leave her in an alley, which I'm not yeah, exactly, exactly sure why they have to kick her out of the car in the beginning of Back to the Future 2. I mean, I'm sure there's not a lot of backseat space in uh, in a DeLorean, but you know she seemed okay back there to begin with. Uh, I'm not sure why they had to put her in an alley, 
which ends up leading to her being taken back to her future home because of her thumbprint. But more concerning to me is in Back to the Future 2, you know, Marty puts her on this on the park bench. And even after they realize that they're in this uh, lawless, hedonistic hell on earth, if Jennifer conceivably is murdered or gang raped in the alternate <laughs> lawless 1985, uh, would she not be murdered or gang raped uh, when the timeline restores itself? Well, it is incredibly. I mean, we, we've you know we're granted that Doc Brown is sort of a sociopath, so his desire to like dump Jennifer's body in an alley somewhere, you know, maybe has some you know un, un, you can understand it. But this is Marty's girlfriend, and he's just like leaving her on various. You know, in various places, and, and he does learn. You know, he even learns himself that his house is no longer his house. So, like, he should assume by the transitive property of, of ownership that Jennifer's house is probably not her parents' house. Yeah, uh, who knows whose house it is? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I just don't buy that things are going to change around them when the timeline is restored correctly. That just doesn't sit right with me. No, I agree. I, uh, that like why? Yeah, there's a lot of, of stuff that like, like that that's weird. And I know you know someone asked us on Twitter, or someone mentioned you know the issue of why old Biff is still around. You know to, to bring back the car. Okay, let's talk about. It. I believe that was uh, our friend Ed Returney. Right? Is that Edra or Edra? <laughs> It's it's a long story uh, that uh, her initials are E D R and she's an attorney, but okay. uh, it was. <laughs> Her, her Twitter name uh, looks as though it should be pronounced Ed Returney. <laughs> oh, I, I was an Ed Returney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, so, yeah, so uh, just for, for in case anybody's uh, listening to this and they haven't seen these movies and I wouldn't know why you would be. <laughs> but uh, in 19 uh, in uh, 1985, Marty goes uh, to the, Marty goes to the future and back to the future too. Uh, he runs into the old Biff. Biff uh, steals the time machine. Now, before we get to Biff stealing the time machine, uh, very convenient that Biff is able to steal the time machine. Uh, there's a number of things going on here that uh, I don't think I really noticed this until this recent watching. So they leave the door open to the car. No, well, more than that, you know, you have Marty, Doc, and Einstein are in the car. They have to go get Jennifer. They don't want to bring Marty to the house so he doesn't run into his future self. Fine. So right. Doc goes to the house. And Doc takes Einstein with him to go <laughs> and to go and get Jennifer. Now, Einstein is not Lassie. Einstein yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Is, is not useful in any way other than like sometimes he can tell when the Libyans are coming and he barks. But he, he serves no useful purpose um, in these movies. But Doc brings Einstein with him on this secret mission. And then Marty is standing at the DeLorean and he sees a, a thing that's walking a dog, uh, like a, th- a flying thing that's walking a dog. And Marty is so easily distracted. He yeah. goes and follows the thing up the street. And, and they both leave. I mean, to me, it's incredible. You have a time machine and you leave the door open and it, the negligence. I mean, they deserve to have the time machine stolen. And not for anything. Like yeah, if, the, if the thing gets towed, I mean, there's a million yeah. different things that could go ba- uh, go wrong. Uh, yeah. The least of which that they would be thinking about would be Biff stealing the time machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that you'd be stranded there with no way to get back. You would think you would hold on to that. Um. And Biff's desire to, I, well, does Biff have any good reason for, like, coming back and leaving it for them? 
Um, no, I guess maybe really? he didn't want to be found guilty of, of anything. Now, well, uh, it's the past, you know, who cares? I guess so. It's sort of a really awkward scene because so there's a deleted scene that happens there where Biff totally like vanishes uh, after delivering the uh, time machine. And I watched like a, a documentary one time where they said where um, what happens is that Lorraine McFly ends up shooting Biff in the 1990s. Now, this is not canon, uh, but she shoots <laughs> she shoots Biff in the, the 1990s, and that's why Biff is no longer in the 2015. Oh, so that's so that's so poignant. Uh, yeah, so he, but I don't know how they were going to deliver this piece of information. It seems like within the context of the film, th- this plot point seems like it would be, uh, rather impossible to get across without there being like, uh, a footnote, uh, at the end of the film. <laughs> By the way, like, the reason that Biff disappeared was either shot. <laughs> I don't know. But again, it's so awkward that they left this in there where Biff is like getting out of the car and, it, and he's like dying when he gets out of the car and he breaks the head of his Kane, and there's even like a, a few shots of Biff, like, uh, like, uh, maybe Biff had some bad Mexican food in 1955 <laughs> or what? Well, but, there's also like the, the questionable, uh, you know, impact of time travel on the human body. You know, you don't know like what that's going to do to well, a person. But nobody else has shows any ill effects of time travel. They're a lot younger, you know, although Doc is, you know, of, of quite, you know, he's like a Doctor Who character. He's a, you know, <laughs> Immortal. That's maybe too nerdy for this podcast. Here. <laughs> Impossible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so the thing that people are upset about is that. So, why doesn't Biff come back to a alternate version of 2015? Why is it uh, if Jennifer is left on her porch, and when they change the past, the past will change around Jennifer? Why right. aren't Marty and Doc uh, suddenly tra- in a transformative uh, 2015? And the only, I mean, you know, the, the real reason is just giant plot hole or narrative convenience. But, I mean, it's, you know, you could make an argument that, like, this area hasn't been changed, you know, in this new future. Yeah, but Marty, uh, <laughs> that's a stretch. It's just, it's just a, a, a plot hole. There's no reason. There's no way to fix it. I saw somebody on Twitter tried to say that, well, because the movie is told through Marty's perspective, and but it doesn't hold any water. I'm sorry. That makes sense. No, it doesn't make yeah. sense because, you know, we, we have to obey the rules of time travel here. You know, this movie sets up these rules and then it just, you know, you, you got to follow through on them. Yeah. Um, so they that is not a, not a great job there. So then uh, they end up going back to uh, 19, 1985. And um, of course, uh, we could go on from there. Uh, but I don't think we just I mean, do we have a, a debate or on the hotter Jennifer or you're just going to stick with yours or. Uh, what you need, you need to make the case is it just pure like she's hotter? Yeah, pure physically. I think she's uh, the more the more attractive woman. I'm arguing that the, that Jennifer Two is the more Elizabeth Shue. Is more Elizabeth Shue? Yeah, she's more Elizabeth Shue than Jennifer One. Yeah. What about the performance? Did you like the performance of the of Jennifer Two better than Jennifer One? Um, I, look, I think there's a lot to be said for Jennifer one, you know, um, she obviously originated the role yeah. uh, of Jennifer. Um, she's definitely, you know, got some sex appeal. Um, but, you know, growing up in the eighties with like Elizabeth Shue was an adventures in babysitting and you know, whatever else she, what she did. Cocktail. Uh, yes. Cocktail. I mean, you know, as soon as you see her, she like lights up your screen. It's like Meg Ryan. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Meg Ryan again is more of a, you know, she's cute. 
She's not sexy, Meg Ryan. Elizabeth Shue was in the Karate Kid. She was the, the girlfriend in the Karate Kid. I mean, she's a great, you know, she's got a, a long history of being an on-screen girlfriend. I guess so. She, I feel like she's be better suited to be Marty's like female best friend than <laughs> than Jennifer One, who definitely there could be some attraction there with Marty. This is Hill Valley, right? It's not some like metropolis. She's the girl next door. Where do we think Hill Valley is in California? Is it in California? Yeah, it is California. Um, is it like the San Fernando Valley, Hill Valley? I was thinking like, yeah, like a suburb of L.A. kind of thing. Is it more, uh, it's not more like uh, Northern California? I don't think so. I mean, although I didn't know it was California a second ago, so I can't really have an yeah, opinion Yeah, it's definitely it. California. Well, they're in the Old West. Oh, right. Well, the Old West wasn't necessarily California. Yeah, but uh, they, they definitely make a point of uh, it's California. Right. So, uh, well, yeah, I don't know. Uh, here's something. The uh, Another plot point that emerges in Back to the Future 2, which is not uh, part of anything in Back to the Future 1, is the fact that suddenly we have this plot point that Marty McFly, his fatal character flaw, is that if anybody calls him a chicken... Uh, I hate the sequel. Anyway, I'm sorry, continue. You should, uh... I don't hate Back to the... I, I want to be clear that I... Uh, I love Back to the Future 1, I like Back to the Future 2, and I don't like Back to the Future 3. <laughs> the chicken thing is exactly what's wrong with the sequels. I mean, it's that, like, in the first movie, you know, which I, I guess I had forgotten this, like, because I had seen the second and third, obviously, more recently than the first, so I had sort of, like, backwards remembered that this was just, like, part of Marty, you know, that he hated to be called chicken. In fact, it's nowhere in the first movie. It doesn't come up once in the first movie. And it's because the first movie was like a beautiful movie. It had a great plot. It had like tremendous, you know, chemistry between all of the actors. And then you have these like tacked on sequels where there's like no reason for anything to happen. And so they have to like give these ridiculous, you know, character twists. Um, and the Marty Chicken one is the absolute worst of all of those. It really is. Comes out of nowhere. And uh, is that even a thing? Steven, when was the last time in your life that somebody <laughs> called you Chicken? I think it probably was around the time of the Back to the Future movies. <laughs> I mean, how often is this coming up where Marty McFly is being called a chicken? Right. Well, I guess a lot. I mean, once someone knows that they can get you to do anything just by calling you a chicken, they'll definitely take advantage of that. <laughs> and isn't there another word that you would think would come up more often that they would call Marty uh, that uh, is not, necess- not necessarily a word that uh, you would use in mixed company, but is something that you would use to describe a cat, perhaps? You're referring to yellow, right? <laughs> no. Which is what Biff calls him in the, in the third no, one. Not yellow. <laughs> If anything, I feel like that would come up more than Marty being called a chicken through his entire adult life. Yeah, um, it is ridiculous. And and the fact, yeah, but again, like, you know, people, people know that they know that like, and you can tell from the people who, you know, who goad him like this. It's not like they think he's being a coward. They're like, what's the matter, chicken? Like, obviously, you're going to do hey, what I want. Hey, nobody calls me <laughs> chicken <laughs> nobody you got that what do you want me to do like how far do we think marty mcfly would go with this chicken well business? he's so far we've seen him you know wreck his car um engage in some kind of fraud right with needles right and 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 get into a duel to the death so basically there's no <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I guess so. Like genocide? Is like genocide on the table? I don't know. Like if you had like a glass of Drano, perhaps. Yeah. You yeah. say, hey, oh, Marty, drink this. No, no way, man. I'm not going to do it. Like, oh, what are you, chicken? Yeah, hey, yeah. nobody calls me chicken. I don't know. I, I see. I mean, like the duel with, with Tiff or whatever Biff 3's name is. Yeah. What's his name? Buff? Uh, which Griff. which one? Griff? No, in the third one. Biff's uh, grandson wa- is Griff. No, the Wild West Biff. Oh, uh, Mad Dog Tannen? Mad Dog what? Tannen. Tannen, okay, but... Um, so anyway, you know, he, he um, you know, that's, he's essentially getting killed in that, right? Like, he's agreeing to be shot by this guy. Pretty much, yeah. Well, he actually, he agreed to it, but then, uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe, how about this? Maybe when Marty changed the timeline in 1955, could he have, could there have been some uh, horrific event that happened to Marty as a child (laughs) involving being called a coward or a chicken (laughs) that somehow changed, uh, made this developer Back to the Future 2? He doesn't even know it. Well, that's one of the tragic things about, you know, the end of the first Back to the Future movies. Marty uh, shows up in this new future and he's going to have no shared experiences with his entire family um oh, that's kind of sad yeah exactly like he's they're all gonna have all of these crazy vacations they went on these events that happened to them and he's gonna be completely left out from that yeah and they're inevitably gonna wonder what happened to their son you know their brother their who they loved and that was a member of their family they're gonna be like how did this kid this like rebellious punk with this you know who's obsessed with with time travel and old men you know, how did he <laughs> become our like family member <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know yeah. Um, okay. Uh, how about this? Um, do you think that? Um, well, I'm I'm so torn of which which direction to go. Uh, I'm gonna go with this. Um, why do you think that Doc chose uh, this specific event in 2015, the uh, arrest of Marty's son, and then the subsequent? Uh, attempted break out of jail by Marty's daughter of Marty's son. Why did Doc choose this event in time to go back and change in the future? It does seem, I and mean, you had you had alluded to this, that there there are, are more significant events in Marty's past that maybe would be worth changing. Well for well for instance, uh do you think that Doc has any uh interaction with Marty post nineteen eighty five? Well, that, I mean, like, that's, you know, they're, they're like bromance to sort of like the heart of the first movie. And, you know, then they, he saves him and like they hug and you'd think that they would become, you know, lifelong friends after having endured this experience together. Yeah. So I guess, does, does Doc ever show up on Marty's doorstep, say in 1996 or 2008 and say, uh, Hey Marty, I'm back. How's it hanging? And, uh, is, is Marty not like, uh, Hey doc, uh, you know, uh, there was this, this car accident that happened. And, uh, I was wondering if maybe we can go back. Uh, (laughs) like, do they have any interaction and why doesn't Marty try to get doc to change this piece of information? Yeah, it's um, it does seem like like the fact that he didn't change the car accident and instead chooses to change this like incidental. Yeah, yeah. And and why is Marty's son such an idiot? (laughs) I don't know. I I, that we don't know. Yeah, 
Um, and more importantly, why why doesn't the end of Back to the Future one go something like this? You know, the time machine pulls up and, uh, you know, Doc gets out of the car like, Marty, you've got to come back with me. Like, uh, oh, where are we going, Doc? And he's like, uh, in 2011, there are terrorists that are going to try <laughs> to take down the World oh, Trade God. Center. Like, yeah. whoa, 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 Doc. Are you telling me that terrorists are going to use an airplane to take down a building? Precisely, Marty. That's what we have to go stop. Like, <laughs> that is incredibly selfish. Um, Doc, you're absolutely right. Why, why are they? What a jerk. I, I mean, I get it about change. Let's not change the past. But if we have this, you know, potentially preventable disaster that's going to happen in the future, um, I don't know. I feel like Doc and Marty are very myopic in terms of the uh, time machine. I mean, if they're going to change anything, you know, I get like, we can't change anything. You know, this is the way history is meant to play out. You know, who are we to play God? But to to change that, you know, to make Griff go to jail instead of Marty's son and then to not change this horrible event or even to, you know, to change, you know, even from the perspective of 1985, you know, go go back and stop the Holocaust from happening. My God, you know, what's wrong with you, you asshole? (laughs) (laughs) Doc is such a monster. That's the subtext that we're learning. (laughs) Well, I think there's a lot of uh, pre 9-11 thinking that takes place in the Back to the Future movies. Right. Um, well, specifically, I'm referring to the involvement uh, of the uh, the Libyans <laughs> in uh, America uh, stealing right. plutonium from nuclear uh, facilities. And this is it's just like a footnote on the uh, local news. Yeah. Not well, a big the story. In their van. It's like it's like the, all the seriousness of the of the terrorists and Team America World Police, you know? It's like they're like screaming like waka 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 out of outside the van. You know, it's just like totally unthreatening as they race down Hill Valley, this like suburb to Los Angeles, to like, you know, gun down this this poor poor lunatic. Well furthermore, uh Doc Brown is assisting the Libyans in making a, a nuclear bomb and is not not particularly concerned about this that you know in nineteen eighty five Libyans are working on a, a nuclear device? Well I thought he had tricked them. You know, I thought he had been like, Oh, I didn't give them the real plutonium yeah, or whatever. Says, well he says he gave them a bomb made out of pinball parts. Yeah, see, so he's he's foiled terrorism. I I guess so, uh, but wouldn't the, the proper move to be reporting this to the authorities? <laughs> uh, and, and is nobody else concerned that Libyan terrorists are driving around uh, Hill Valley in? Uh, I uh, you, you don't watch The Lost, right? No. Uh, well, uh, they're driving around in a uh, Dharma Initiative van, basically, uh, with a, with rocket launchers, and nobody else is too <laughs> concerned about this. And, and so these Libyans, um, now I, <laughs> you know, they crash into like a photo mat in their right. van. Can we? Are we? Do we presume that the Libyans are dead? Well, that's another thing. Like they're they're going to take a second shot, you know, and like probably not every Libyan that Doc Brown has pissed off is in that one van, you know. Like they've got to have cells within cells, you know, if they're trying to create a bomb. So there's like more Libyans. Like that's what the, the sequel should have been is like Doc Brown's war against the Libyans. That would have been very interesting to watch. But yeah. I, I would presume that the Libyans are not dead. 
I mean, I, well, I watched that crash. It's not like they, you know, there was no explosion. The van didn't like blow up or anything. Yeah, the van didn't blow up. It just crashes into like a photo mat. And I mean, what is it going like 40 miles an hour? Like, it's not like, uh, you know, a hundred miles an hour that they crashed. Right. They sort of like skid into it. And Marty and Doc are like, and then they have like this whole like heartfelt moment and stuff afterwards. Like, uh, how do they know like the Libyans aren't going to just get out of the, <laughs> get out of the van and kill them. Yeah. I presume that they were, uh, knocked unconscious, but uh, I would imagine they're going to get up and be pretty pissed. Right. Right. It's like walk out. Yeah. They really should have like skedaddled. The other thing that bothered me about that, you know, in, in, um, you know, obviously Doc ends up reading the letter um, that Marty gave him, you know, which is like an incredibly touching scene, uh, at least, you know, by my by my rights. But in the third movie, when when Marty goes back to 1955, and, you know, Doc is running down the road and the fires on either side and he's cheering, yes. which is my favorite moment of the movie, actually. Um, and Marty goes back. And he, you know, Marty has up till now been unable to tell him to wear a bulletproof vest. You think Marty would be like, first things first, Doc, wear a fucking bulletproof vest. <laughs> you know, like, well, he had a lot on his mind. He had a lot on his mind uh, at that point. That doesn't bother me. All right. I think okay. if you are saying that that's your problem, that Marty just doesn't blurt out, hey, wear a bulletproof vest. I think he has plenty of time to be able to blurt out, hey, wear a bulletproof vest. <laughs> <laughs> or like you know maybe stay away from Libyan terrorists you know maybe maybe there are other ways to, to avoid this problem altogether yeah lots of different ways to avoid this but in my thinking is that uh, I don't think that the Libyan terrorists uh, were killed in that accident right. if anything even if they were just incapacitated and potentially arrested by the authorities I would think that they would say uh, exactly what happened like in the news report they claim to have taken responsibility for stealing the plutonium. Uh, oh, yeah, but it's Doc Brown who stole it. You're absolutely right. No, no, they, I think they, the Libyans stole it and then they gave it to Doc because he could build a nuclear weapon. Oh, I see, I see. Uh, which is, uh, you know, all the more reason maybe Marty McFly shouldn't be hanging out with Doc Brown and maybe George and Lorraine may want to intervene <laughs> with, uh, you know, if I had a 17-year-old son, I wouldn't want him uh, hanging out at, with some guy who's like talking to terrorists about building nuclear your weapons. And where did the Libyans get this information? You know, the, the one established thing we know about Doc Brown is that none of his inventions work. <laughs> so how are these Libyan terrorists who can like steal plutonium working with this like cra- local this crackpot from Hill Valley rather than like an actual nuclear engineer? Well, I will say that one of Doc's experiments works perfectly. Uh, the experiment that Doc sets up in the beginning of the first movie, uh, in which Doc has managed to set all of the clocks in his house exactly twenty five minutes fast. Oh, is that right? Yes, that Doc is a very big experiment going on in his house, and and uh, that he's uh, Marty's at Doc's house, and the phone rings, and Doc says, "Are those my clocks?" And uh, he's like, "Yeah, Doc, it's eight o'clock." He's like, "Oh, great! Uh, that it worked. I've set all the clocks in my house twenty five minutes fast." Why? No. Yes, yes, that's exactly what happens. So why is Doc under the impression that is Doc not aware of daylight saving? time i mean how does doc i mean i get it he's doing something with clocks time get it he's building a time machine but the 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 dialogue that i've set all the clocks in my house 25 minutes fast this experiment works (laughs) it's like an experiment that a three-year-old might do (laughs) 
<laughs> we gotta set the bar low and then build up to time travel. I guess. I guess so. Uh, Doc is also responsible for a number of Rube Goldberg inventions. <laughs> yeah, that's like nice to feature three. That ice machine sure seems complicated. You know, like that did not seem like a really good expenditure of all of those working parts. <laughs> Uh, why were Rube Goldberg machines so popular in uh, films from the 1980s? What else was there? Oh, uh, well, there's a uh, a famous uh, Rube Goldberg machine in the opening of uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Uh, I, I believe that uh, there's a, yeah. a Rube Goldberg machine uh, that they co- that Data has in uh, the Goonies. Uh, it seems like people were very interested in. Uh, it seems like a good thing to put over the uh, like opening credits. Uh, Rube Goldberg machine. That's so interesting. I don't know, and not um, so much anymore. In the movie, yeah, um, maybe it's like a metaphor for filmmaking or something. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. uh, so these Libyans, I would think that they w- are going to rat out Doc if they uh, are reported to the authorities. Like, I don't know which is worse for Doc if the authorities um, come and they uh, find out that Doc has been assisting the Libyans or if the, the Libyans just keep it within themselves and send more Libyans to come after Doc. Um, this is why I think that Doc can never return to 1985 and Doc sort of goes into the future as uh, he's on the lam. Well, where does he... Excuse me, I was eating something. Where does he end up in um at the end of the third one? He's, is he going to the moon? I don't think he's going to the moon I'm on a train. I wouldn't no, think it, so. It, yeah, but where, where do they go? I mean, Doc never really comes out and says he's now in hiding from the Libyans, <laughs> from the Libyan terrorists. From the Libyan yeah. terrorists. But <laughs> it, it seems like it'd be very easy to trace this stuff back to Doc uh, of his involvement with the Libyan terrorists. Uh, furthermore, I don't know why Doc isn't already on some sort of a watch list for his. Uh, you know, Hill Valley has one famous landmark. Okay, of course. Uh, the, the clock tower and yeah. doc seems single-handedly responsible in this new <laughs> timeline for the destruction of the only working part of the uh hill valley clock tower it's called right? the hill valley clock tower and doc uh has sets up this massive weather experiment hooks up a giant pole to the top of it to make it struck by lightning uh you would think that there would be hell to pay in hill valley for it gets struck by, like like I, I feel like there was an inquest and doc was cleared of responsibility and it was proven that the lightning was going to strike anyway and, and then doc he was built a lightning rod on top of it <laughs> like lightning was going to strike it anyway but he like added like like i don't know why he, he didn't trust it he builds like this whole structure to go on top of it, it has all these wires uh they, they, i mean there's a permit filed uh most, that was to me was the most surprising part of the entire first back to the future movie was that doc had filed for a permit like when 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 the police officer comes over and you know there's all this weather equipment set up um and says you got a permit for all this stuff and doc is like yes i do officer yeah gotcha. Yeah, it, it was just like how how did that happen? I don't know. I also think it's pretty weird that the Delor- you know these Libyans they have machine guns. They're firing at the DeLorean. Uh, does not put one bullet hole in the in the DeLorean. They must be the worst shots ever. These Libyans, <laughs> but somehow uh, an Indian with a bow and arrow is able to totally incapacitate <laughs> the DeLorean in eighteen eighty five. That's amazing. Um. That is very funny. 
Uh, so that's that's pretty wild. Uh, I don't know why it still takes Doc thirty years to build the time machine. After like, if I was if I was building something and then uh, that it was taking me thirty years to do, and you went back to before I started this project and showed right. me exactly what it looked like and what right. it was supposed to. I mean, I think, I think it's the difference between putting a puzzle together when you have the picture on the front of the box and when you don't <laughs> yeah. have the picture on the front of the box. Like, uh, don't you think it's? I mean, is Doc doing the, like just dragging his feet now to take the time well, the DeLorean the, De- the DeLorean wasn't you know around until the 80s so he was you know he really had to wait for the most essential part of all hmm. uh, why wouldn't Doc like, it seems like Doc uh, like all right, let's get into how all of the movies could have been uh, preempted and, and saved uh, why doesn't Doc uh, perhaps uh, put some extra plutonium in the time machine uh, armed with the knowledge that uh, it will require a bolt of lightning to, to do that. <laughs> like, what is, doesn't that seem uh, like he could have saved why some is, steps here? So, remind me, why is the fuel, the fuel in the first one, like it can only do one time travel? Yes, one uh, thing of plutonium is roughly equal to uh, one piece of uh, time travel. Now, I don't know what you do with the nuclear waste from the uh, used right, uh, right. plutonium, <laughs> but uh, apparently it's no big deal. You just you know get hit by light, run you know uh, lightning through it, whatever. Nobody seems uh, particularly scared, <laughs> uh, although they do wear radiation suits in the beginning of the first movie. But, yeah, that that that, that can see gets completely tossed out throw that away um so uh that being said they you know doc knows what the time machine is going to be but it still takes him all this time to do it he doesn't put extra plutonium in there now maybe he feels like he know well he knows to wear a bulletproof vest though so does he feel like maybe it would create a paradox by not doing that? Then he won't know to wear the bulletproof vest. Yeah, you've, you've got to let Marty go back. And he, it is weird. Like the entire second time, like Doc is playing along. And like, you're right. Like he knows exactly what's going to happen. He makes all the same mistakes, too. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like he makes the same mistakes, you know, and he like lets Marty get in and go to the past and like somehow never lets on to Marty in all of this time that uh I mean he you know. he lets the Libyans shoot him again. <laughs> he's not exactly. like he's not like ready with like a machine gun like ah uh, when the, these these Libyans like uh I'll I'll fix them when they show up this time. Yeah. Um and and he goes you know, and maybe I guess this is sort of maybe why Doc and Marty are such great friends, and that is sort of a time paradox. Is that before Marty is even born, you know, Mar- Doc he has saved Doc's life, and so you know maybe Doc has, takes takes a special interest in, in in Marty, you know, as a result of that. Oh, interest. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so then, uh, so that's how you know. Back to the Future One certainly could have been averted. Um, Back to Back to the Future Two uh, seems like uh, there's plenty of ways that that lots of mistakes, a lot of mistakes well, in Back to the Future. Well, we're just too. talking about ways that the movie, that the plot of the movie could have been avoided. That's uh, what I mean. Like a lot, a lot of um, you know, close the door on the time machine, you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> yes, stuff like that. But Back to the Future Three is the one that really jumps out at me as totally unnecessary. Um. 
Why? Why? Because in Back to the Future 3, uh, Marty, uh, you know, he sees the time machine go off into uh, 1885, gets struck by lightning, which I'm still not exactly sure how the time machine can uh, go through time when it's not going 88 miles per hour, which is we've been told throughout the other films that it must be going oh, great 80, point. 88 now miles per like hour. Any lightning strike is good enough to so do it. So I don't know why they couldn't have just like uh, had the time machine hooked up to a wire uh, with right. the clock tower and just sat there and waited in Back to the Future 1 for the lightning to strike. But uh, Trial and error, Rob. Trial and error. Time is a tricky business. Uh, so, but uh, apparently it's very important, or why they couldn't just wait for a bolt of lightning to strike the time machine in Back to the Future 3. Like, just every time there's a lightning storm, go out there with a lightning rod and just wait for it. <laughs> That's true, too. I don't I, you know. The Doc loves the Wild West, and plus he's like fleeing from these Libyans. You know, he's happy to like live somewhere safe. But listen, you know, Doc is so concerned with changing the future, but yet sets up shop as a blacksmith, introduces all this like futuristic ice making technology. You know, I mean, how, how is that not changing the future? How is his like feud with Griff Tannen not permanently altering the, the, the Tannen uh, you know, timeline? Yes, I mean, to set up shop, I mean, somebody else would have set up a shop in that. This in is that ruining spot. some some future other blacksmiths' well being. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, in back to the future three or the end of back to the future two um why does it marty has the time machine right uh, like they have um the old they have the old time machine that doc originally went back to the future in so they go and they and they set up the time machine and, and they're like i'm gonna go back to 1885 and save the doc uh so they do that but why doesn't marty say well you know what why don't i go back to yesterday i'll tell doc uh Hey, Doc, uh, don't fly the time machine during the lightning storm because that'll be really bad. <laughs> like, why doesn't he do that instead of going to 1885? Well, there is a lot of like, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, ridiculous. You're absolutely right. Or better yet, that this is the this, the simpler version that doesn't even involve an extra trip in the time machine. Why can't Marty just tell Doc, hey, hey, Doc, when you're in 1955 after you go to 2015 and then we come back and Biff steals the time machine... Don't fly the time machine then. <laughs> like, well, isn't Doc like armed with this knowledge and knows not to, not to do it? And it makes me feel like the only way you could explain this is that uh, Doc would get struck by lightning no matter what he did due to the uh, fate controlling the Back to the Future universe rather than free will. Um, that's very interesting, and they don't really explore that. There isn't there isn't that sort of like sliding doors moment of you know trying to do something differently. The other thing about like that specific um, time frame is that like isn't doesn't like Doc only have like a week to set up like shop as a blacksmith and establish this like wonderful life for himself? No, I think he actually goes back before then, and he's been there for several months, and then there's only a small time frame between when he writes the letter and when Marty goes back. And where does he get the money? You know, where does he get the money to? well, he does have a suitcase full of money from all sorts of times. Oh, I don't right. know if that has any 1885 currency, but right, uh, I think the move is just to buy gold. I hear that a lot on cable news. <laughs> it's valuable in any time frame. And really, Doc should just have a suitcase full of gold in the time machine, because yeah, it, and it only exactly. gets more valuable. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's heavy though. It's hard, hard to, uh, hard to carry. Diamonds, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So yeah. maybe precious metals and jewels, and that could be the plot of Back to the Future Four, where uh, the suitcase full of precious metals and jewels is stolen. Uh, one other thing about uh, another way that they could have avoided Back to the Future 3 is okay. if, if Marty said now that Doc is armed with reading the letter that he's going to get shot by Mad Dog Tannen, maybe Doc could just not piss off Mad Dog Tannen. Well, that's what I was. He even knows, and like he even like great Scott, Mar- 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 I'm going to get shot up. by Mad Dog Tannen. <laughs> but or just apologize, you know, like right after he, uh, you know, Marty shows up and he's like, Doc, he's going to shoot you, and he's like, Oh, I know why. You know, he knows why. Just like say, Oh, by the way, I'm really sorry about that. Uh, no, even in, I'm talking about the, in 1955, Doc, like Doc reads oh. the letter and reads and reads that he's going to get shot in a dispute by Mad Dog Tannen. Yet he can continues to go on with the rest of his life and build a time machine to make all the same mistakes again, and then go go get struck by lightning as he knows is going to happen, and then Larry. go to 1885 and still piss off Mad Dog Tannen and still get shot. It's outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As he's committed to his principle of not changing the future. <laughs> well, $50 is $50, I think. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure if that was the right amount of money that uh, they did. But, uh, right. yeah. Something like that. It was like five, take $10 or something, or like $40. Um, my problem with the third movie, especially, is that, you know, Doc goes from being this like hilarious supporting character in the first movie to basically the leading man, this romantic leading man yeah, in the third yeah. movie, you know, where he's driving the plot, he's falling in love with the girl and it's Marty who's sort of like the wacky sidekick in that movie. And like, it's like the Jack Sparrow effect, you know, and like the first pirates movie, he's like, like prancing along the sidelines. And then by the third movie, he's like, just, you know, there's like 90 Jack Sparrows, like all running around in that, in that ship hallucination. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's like two. Like they were like so in love with Christopher Lloyd that they just were like more, you know, and and it, it, he can't sustain the movie. Yeah, Doc yeah. sort of becomes the third wheel in Back to the Future Three. Oh, I think he's like the first wheel, Marty. No, Doc. Oh, I'm sorry. Doc, I, I, I meant Marty. I meant to say Mar- yeah, Marty is the third wheel. wheel. Yeah, and, and he's not a good. You know, that character is not a good like supporting character because he's not doesn't add anything. Yeah, I, he's just yeah. I could talk a lot about Back to the Future 3. I feel like, much like the DeLorean, uh, the franchise also runs out of gas in the third film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How about this also? Uh, could they n- not siphon the gas out of Doc's DeLorean uh, and then put it into Marty's DeLorean? Wait, where are the way? What are these other DeLoreans? So there are two DeLoreans in 1885. There's the DeLorean oh, that yeah. Doc traveled there in and that right. he put in the cave. And then there's the DeLorean that Marty traveled back to 1885. So at, there are actually two DeLorean time machines in the 1885. Wait, how does Marty get the second DeLorean? Like, I don't, I'm sorry. I, I, I saw this like two weeks ago and I don't remember. Okay. So Doc gets sent back to 1885. Right. The lightning strikes him. He's off the roof. Right. He's sent back to 1885. He hides his DeLorean in a cave so oh. that Marty can get it to go back to uh, go back to the the right time frame. 
But he, Marty instead goes to 1885. So now there's a time machine that Marty used to get to 1885, and there's a time machine that Doc used to get to 1885. But it's the same car. Now, Doc is big on like there being a paradox of, uh, you know, your senior self in the past. Do you think that's true of the car? Of the, of the, for the car? No, I don't think no, so. I don't think so. Okay. Okay. But anyway, why can't they siphon the gas out of the time machine that Doc used to get back there? Did Doc just like drive, you know, drive the thing till it was on E? <laughs> You think he just cruised around for a while in the Wild West? Maybe. Uh, I also don't know. How do they move the time? The DeLorean is out of gas. How are they moving it around so freely uh, in 1885? Um, like they get okay. it. It's in a cave with a bear. Then suddenly, <laughs> then, then suddenly there's like 12 horses tied to it. Then it's right. in Doc's lab. Then it's on train tracks uh, so for a car that has no gas in it. I don't, how are they moving it around so freely? A lot of legwork, you know? I guess they were just pushing it. And without arousing suspicion in Hill Valley uh, right. from anybody who's like, uh, you know, you, you would think that a a car, let alone a DeLorean in 1885, would arouse some suspicion. Well, I think, I mean, that ice maker still, it really, you know, I can't, can't get my head around that ice maker. I feel like once Doc has created the ice maker, he's, uh, you know, basically anything he does is probably considered you know, scientific or like be like beyond futuristic. I mean, how have these people not, you know, they, they, they see what he has created, this refrigeration unit he's created that makes ice in, you know, wild West California. You think he would be their God, you know, or you think he would like at least have an incredibly booming refrigeration business, like much more interesting than being than a blacksmith shoeing horses. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Hill Valley is a, a strange place. And, uh, you know, we get to see a, learn a lot about Hill Valley throughout the years. Um, the 1985 that we start out in, Hill Valley is not exactly the, uh, the greatest, the greatest place in the world, uh, despite <laughs> its slogan of being a nice place to live that we see on much of the signage in Hill Valley. Yeah. Um, the Hill Valley in 1955 seems like everything is going good, but under, uh, the 1985 uh, economy of Hill Valley uh, seems as though it's a bit seedy, even before the Biff timeline takes over. Like uh, around the clock tower in 1985, uh, it seems like there's like some adult movie theaters uh, going on there's like there a strip club too, right? Yeah, like this- a strip club. Uh, yeah. I don't know exactly what, you know, you have this, uh, this, uh, town drunk that's sleeping over there. It doesn't seem like the, uh, you know, the most wholesome place around. And there's Libyan terrorists driving around. <laughs> we also know they've never been able to fix the clock tower. Yes. Crazy. And they've never been able to, even in 2015, they, yeah. they still have not been able to fix the stupid clock tower. Right. There's definitely an issue with, well, Mayor, Mayor, what's his Goldie name? Goldie Wilson. Not, yes. Yeah, Goldie's obviously not a very effective uh, mayor. How much do we blame Goldie Wilson for the state of Hill Valley in 1985? I mean, you have to, you know, if he's the, I mean, he, presumably he's the one who's in charge of the municipal funds, right? To like fix the clock tower and, you know, you see what Rudy Giuliani could do for New York. You know, I feel like Goldie Wilson could have done more for Hill Valley. Now, how much do you think that the economy of Hill Valley is based on the manure shipping business? <laughs> It seems like this is a big industry in Hill Valley. Like multiple trucks, like late at night too. And then, you know, and then the 55 and back to the future too. Uh, late at night, there's like some manure truck like on an urgent manure shipment. You know? Have you ever seen a manure truck in your entire life? 
I have never seen a manure train. Not, I mean, like, what could it possibly be used for? What, what is the imagined thing that this manure truck is, well, is uh, you know? Well, maybe is there some crop that it needs to be uh, in Hill Valley? But it doesn't seem like there's a lot of agriculture in Hill Valley. No, it's, it's you know, a nice little suburban area. It's not, it's not a farm town. Although Mr. Uh, Peabody, I'm not sure who the, the, you know, Marty does land on a farm, and it was farmland, and we don't necessarily see the manure trucks in 1985. Is that possible? That, But why does the manure truck need to go through the town so often? Um... Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. It's, and then, like, both in the middle of the day, you know, when Biff first runs into it, and late at night, it's just like there's a constant stream of, like, this manure fleet is, like, always on the go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so even in the year 2015, uh, Goldie Wilson, uh, according to the sign that they passed, Goldie Wilson Jr. is the mayor of Hill Valley. But See, there's something very corrupt about this. It's very this corrupt, thing. but then on the signs in the town, on the big screen, there's a, a, a video commercial for Goldie Wilson the third. It does hover conversions on your car. Oh, wow. So I don't know. It seems like a little, it's like one hand washing the other here with Goldie Wilson and Hill Valley. I mean, is this well, a, a monarchy think, in Hill Valley? Do you think that there are hover manure trucks? I, that's possible. Yeah, you gotta assume. <laughs> you gotta assume. All right, uh, since we're talking a little bit about the year 2015, uh, there's definitely, you could do a whole podcast about stuff in uh, 2015. Uh, it's right. always tough to predict the future in the movies. Uh, Back to the Future 2 does uh, some things, uh, you know, it seemed like they were on the money about, and other things, uh, not so much. So uh, let, let me give you a list of some of the technology that we can expect to have uh, on the streets uh, in all but... Th- three and a half years yeah okay uh we will have uh sleep inducers and this seems like a very useful tool for uh people who have insomnia or date rapists <laughs> you'll just be able to go up to people like okay you're asleep now that, that could be like a special scientist tool that could be that could be yeah. but it only has enough juice to really get somebody good once yeah then it doesn't work as good um We'll, we'll all be able to have, uh, you know, all of our energy problems will seemingly be solved uh, with Mr. Fusion, uh, which ha- is able to provide the flux capacitor with 1.21 gigawatts of electricity just based on common household items, which seems very good. Yet the Hill Valley Texaco station is still uh, seems like a thriving business. Well, so do you think the Texaco station just like provides, maybe that's what all the manure is used for in the future is, uh, you know, well, providing trash for, for people's cars. I don't know. No, I think it seems like it's, it's gas. Like the time machine still runs on conventional gasoline. It's, it, it's not like, uh, Mr. Fusion is, pow- Mr. Fusion only powers the flux capacitor. So they need gas still in 2015. Well, it seems like 2015 has to be a pretty transitional economy. You know, like cars aren't being built as hover cars. They're getting hover conversions on them. So it looks like a lot of this technology is just sort of hitting. Yeah, but I just feel like if we are able to uh, have a fusion reactor uh, to be able to meet all our energy needs, you would think that we'd be able to at least uh, evade our foreign uh, (laughs) dependence on foreign oil. (laughs) I don't know. It bums me out. Yeah. Uh, We'll be having hoverboards in only a few years. That seems very dangerous. Seems uh, very dangerous. Yeah. Uh, 
But although it does seem like there's a lot of helmets that happen uh, with the hoverboards. Yeah, they take precautions. <laughs> they try to be safe. Uh, yeah. We'll be having self-drying jackets. That's exciting. That's exciting. I mean, I don't know how often my jacket gets wet. I mean, I guess if it rains, but yeah, you live in, in Los Angeles, you know, it's not. Uh, it's you can't compare. Yeah, um, self-tying sneakers. Uh, apparently, there are Nike shoes in all era. That's that seems pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are also going to be uh, thumbprint locks. Uh, we must already. We must have thumbprint locks. Not on anybody's house, I don't think. Right. Well, you know. Uh, lady cops with fancy LED hats. <laughs> like, they, uh, yeah. you could read, like, a, what, like, what their hat is saying, like, have a nice day as they're talking to you. Uh, we'll be having, uh, if you throw your back out, you'll be able to have hover traction uh, machines. I think very healthy. It's very good. Uh, and uh, we'll be able to also hydrate pizzas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's good too. And then and then instead of art at your house, you'll have like a projection, uh, like a like a projector. Well, that's sort of you know like with like these like digital picture frames. That, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, that's pretty good. Except I don't think you'd have a projector though. Right. That's uh, you know some houses a, a little inefficient. Uh, um, they got three D movies right. Jaws that Jaws three D one you know is uh, accurate. I, I wouldn't necessarily say they got it right. I mean, that seems like more like it's Jaws hologram, you know, that right. it reaches out and tries to get Marty on the street. I don't think that's necessarily right. What, what are the things that they did get uh, right? It seems like Marty McFly Jr. is, is uh, has a number of channels on television. That seems like it was, like it was uh, working good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, to the... the, the, the Telephony and television sort of coming together. You know, Needles calls him on the on the screen. You know, Mister whatever his name is. Yeah, uh, monitors the call. You know, that seems uh, very <laughs> yeah, that seems, relevant. Seems pretty good. People aren't wearing two ties at the same time. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of things though that are are a little weird about a little wonky about the year 2015 uh for one it seems like uh when they get to 2015 it seems like it's very clearly nighttime uh and somehow it very quickly shifts from day to night by the time they land and also the rain seems to stop uh very unusually Oh yeah, that rain in, in um, yeah that rain was very strange. I, I noticed that as well. What, what what do you think the the reason for that? There was is? no reason for that. Doc just said, "Oh, it's going to stop raining in a second. And the weathermen are so good at predicting the weather, but it didn't seem like the weather was manufactured in any way. Maybe you know global warming has affected the weather pattern. Oh, that's possible. Uh, yeah. Do you think it's weird that there is a Hill Valley edition of USA Today? <laughs> now that Hill Valley is the bustling megalopolis that it has become and that um, there are flying USA Today cameras everywhere but that actually you know the localization of media that seems like completely reasonable <laughs> Ooh, that's interesting uh, what about yeah. the fact that there is a newspaper in 2015 <laughs> well you know it speaks well for the future of the journalists of, you know you're right that it is less likely but aren't there like moving pictures on, on the on the papers no it's very Harry Potter, no? No, no moving pictures on the paper. Okay. Just a regular newspaper. 
It should be, they should be moving pictures. I feel like I saw somewhere in Back to the Future like a, a screen with like moving pictures, but maybe not. Mm. Like a paper with that, I, I, maybe I'm just uh, dreamed it. Some, some pictures with uh, fading, disappearing characters. <laughs> maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> uh, I've paused Back to the Future too at the point where the they're looking at the newspaper to read some of the other headlines. Okay. Um, well, the uh, did you know that uh, Queen Diana is coming to America for a visit? Oh, boo! Too soon. I'm not. That, that's what it says. <laughs> I'm not making. That's not a joke. Um, that's that's sad. Now, maybe, perhaps, in another one of Doc's adventures, did what? Did he maybe? Uh, yeah, well, he finally put himself to, to use. He finally did something worthwhile with the time machine. Go vi- go visit London, nineteen ninety seven, perhaps. Um, it is crazy, just like how much he's squandering that you know this incredible opportunity for humanity. Yeah. Um, another anyway. another headline in the Hill Valley paper is uh, the president says she's tired. And this uh, this worries me. Oh, so you think you think Hillary? No. Oh, Sarah Palin. Yes. Oh, interesting. Now, can do we have any other evidence that Sarah Palin may be the president of the 2015 Back to the Future Two universe? The the fact that we have a you know we have the ability to have a Mister Fusion, but we still have a Texaco station. Uh, that's that's one one sign that I think that Sarah Palin may uh, be in power. Really, I think I feel like she would end our our uh, you know dependence on foreign oil. She's very anti foreign oil, but she drill baby drill. Oh, that's true. She, that's very, that's, that's absolutely right. You're right. Um, uh, another sign that maybe Sarah Palin might be in power. Uh, Doc, uh, says that Marty's son, uh, gets sentenced after two hours because they've abolished all of the lawyers. Oh, 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 but, but you did mention that there are still newspapers. <laughs> there so. are still newspapers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't you think it seems a little harebrained that, um, not only does Marty's son go to jail, but uh, Marty's daughter tries to uh, break him out of jail. Considering when when we meet Marty's daughter, does she does not seem like she's capable of uh, putting together a uh, Shawshank Redemption esque uh, plan? Maybe she, like you, was so outraged that they never, uh, you know, tried to break out cousin cousin Uncle Joey, Billy, Joey, that, Uncle Joey. That that you know, she wanted to avenge the family's you know failures. Yes, uh, and now can we be assured that because uh, Marty Junior didn't do this one stupid idea, that he's going to stay out of trouble for the rest of his life? Right. Presumably, something else horrible is going to happen to this like idiot. I mean, Marty Junior is not like you know, he's not George McFly, who's just sort of a hapless dreamer. He's a total moron. <laughs> yeah. So maybe he won't be born in the, after Marty doesn't crash the car. Which of the McFly men is your favorite? Seamus, George, Marty, or Marty Jr.? Uh, hmm. Well, I think Marty is, is my favorite. But uh, Seamus McFly is very interesting because Marty uh, gets the ability to go and speak with his great, great grandfather at length. And he's able to get advice from his great, great grandfather uh, that helps him immensely. Um uh, a la Philip Shepard, uh, Marty McFly is in very close communication with his great great grandfather. Uh, that's funny, um, but he's yeah, lucky. But, you know, 
Yeah, it is very lucky. And and he, like Philip, can say, you know, that it's okay to have a relationship, for him to have a relationship with his great-great-grandfather. Yes. Um, I think it's also pretty weird in the Back to the Future universe. Like, okay, so we established in Back to the Future 2 that, uh, so Marty's son looks exactly like he did when he was 17. Marty's right. daughter looks exactly like him. Neither of his kids looks like Jennifer. Marty looks nothing like his father, nothing like his mother, but his great-great-grandfather looks exactly like Marty and uh, I think this may be a little uh, incestuous because Marty's great great grandmother looks exactly like his actual mother oh interesting what's up with that that's yeah you're absolutely right that's that's so interesting why doesn't that- Marty look exactly like Crispin Glover yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why isn't Crispin Glover playing all the roles in Back to the Future? Maybe it skips a generation. Maybe he. Do you know? So you know the reason he wasn't in the the second two movies is he like asks for too much money. Really? Yeah. So in fact, it's I. I always thought that was Crispin Glover playing Marty's dad in the second movie. Yeah, I didn't know until a couple of years ago. I didn't know that, but I did not know it at the time. But apparently, that's why they like hung him upside down so that he'd be less recognizable. Ooh. Um, yeah. Anyway. Don't you think that uh, Marty looks uh, pretty shitty for only being 47 years old? <laughs> he had that accident, you know? I mean, I don't know. You know, he's he's lived his whole like, life in, in regret and Michael J. F- Michael J. Fox uh, is, I, I'm trying to think, I think he was like 29 in, in 89. So Michael J. Fox is about the age uh, that Marty McFly uh, was in, in the movies. And we all know, uh, you know, the uh, difficulties that Michael J. Fox has been through looks right. a million times better than Marty McFly in 2015. I mean, you have no idea what kind of adventures Marty has been on thanks to people calling him chicken. You know, you have no, you can't even so. <laughs> Like, hey, hey, Marty, uh, I I dare you to sit under this sun lamp for 48 hours. Exactly. exactly. What are you, chicken? Yeah. Like, nobody. <laughs> um, why are there so many fax machines at the Marty McFly house? Um, that, that's definitely something that they got wrong. Or maybe, you know, maybe he's a collector. Why do they have a hundred fax machines? <laughs> and they all receive the same message. <laughs> Seems very inefficient. Yeah, and a win wasteful of paper. Yeah, and none of them are even like a fax slash copy slash scanner. They're all just <laughs> fax machine. Like, uh, yeah. who, who knew that the, right. the fax would? Maybe it comes back. Well, what do we know? What job he does? That's a good question. I we don't know really what Marty does. He doesn't seem to be trained in any sort of skill. Uh, Marty, but uh, he does seem to work in some sort of corporation with a Japanese uh, leadership. Uh, And in 2015, the Japanese have really uh, rallied and taken taken over the world, apparently. Right. Well, right. And, um, you know, and he works for Flea or does he work with Flea? Like, what is it that he needs to that that they're... uh, what, what is the scam he's trying to pull on the Japanese? Not exactly sure. Uh, he has to swipe his card, and they're doing something behind uh, the, his back. But uh, this is it's almost like Big Brother in some ways. And I'm not talking about the TV show uh, that uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the name of his boss. Uh, <laughs> but he's monitoring the calls that Marty and Griff are ha- or needles are having. It's it's like. Ah, shoot. What is his name? Uh, I could, I could look it up. I do have the Back to the Future, uh, wiki up. 
it's not as resourceful as Rob has a wiki, but it is very uh, resourceful. So Marty's boss. Let me see if I can uh, do, do this. Really, it starts with a K, I think. Um, oh, the Jits, Eco Jits Fujitsu. Okay, yeah. <laughs> McFry. Okay. Uh, yeah, Edo yeah, yeah. T Fujitsu. So he must work for Fujitsu. Uh, I guess so. Maybe that's a, com- yeah. a common name. Oh, it could be a common name. Yeah. You know. Here's a better question. Uh, what job do George McFly and Biff Tannen work at in 1985? Well, Biff Tannen is a professional car washer. No, that is in the alternate uh, 1985. Oh, the original, in the original 1985, Biff is uh, George McFly's manager. At some company, yeah. and he has to hand in reports, and he can't. Uh, he has to get the reports retyped or whatever um, because uh, he has to hand them in. But somehow um, George is doing that, which actually that seems somewhat reasonable. That uh, you know George is Biff is his supervisor and he has to give him a report. It's really tragic, Georgia State, you know, like never able to get out from under the high school bully in, in, in 30 years or whatever. Yeah, never able to. Uh, now, but would you not argue that Biff uh, is in a better place in 1985, that he seems to be an entrepreneur? He seems right. to own his own auto detailing business. Uh, <laughs> does that not seem like he seems like he loves cars? It seems like Biff right. maybe might have ended up better off as well. You think he's happier? I think he's happier than working at the, you know, the management position. Yes, he does not get to be the boss of George McFly, but he seems like he's able to, uh, you know, own his own business. Does Biff look a lot like The Miz to you? I could see that. Yeah. I I definitely Um, could see that. Uh, (laughs) He's he's in over his head, you know, with these reports. He's like not able to... uh, you know, he's, he's doing a job he's not qualified for, and that's just, that can be stressful and for anybody. Why does Biff need to borrow George's car? Because um, he, didn't he like crash his own or something? <laughs> he's just crashing cars. Now, do you think that Biff crashed George McFly's car into a manure truck? Do we think that that is what happened? <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is, is that possible? Yeah, does that's, Biff's uh, auto detailing business specialize in auto in manure removal? <laughs> You know, you do when you go back to ni- in the second movie when when Marty goes back to 1955 and you see like a little bit of Biff's life, you kind of feel bad for him. Yeah, you see where all this anger comes from. Well, it's sort of weird uh, that Biff. Uh, we talk a little bit about Biff. Um, I don't really understand why Lorraine Baines doesn't like Biff. He seems like he's the most popular guy at school. Right, he's a handsome guy. Okay, maybe yeah. he's not the sharpest pencil. Uh, in the box, but uh, you know he does have uh, an army of henchmen that follow him around through all timelines. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Is it the same three henchmen? I don't think it's the same three henchmen. I think all the Biffs uh, in the different timelines have different henchmen, but they all share a uh, a common fatal flaw that they can all easily be pushed down like dominoes. <laughs> they never seem to like hey why don't we line up horizontally instead of in single file for once but unfortunately that doesn't happen I don't understand yeah. why Lorraine isn't uh, you know why does she have such a thing against Biff he says he wants to marry her and she says I wouldn't marry you if you had a million dollars and but she does eventually marry him well yeah maybe he had several million dollars Well, he, that's true but he has to go yeah. to the lengths to have George McFly murdered yeah, it seems like Biff, you know, has a lot of pent up anger. Maybe, you know, Lorraine recognizes that. Maybe. 
Um, and uh, it seems to be, that I, I can't, I have to give credit to somebody uh, for this. And uh, I will, uh, let, let me say what it is. And uh, this is from uh, Adam Westerhout, who pointed this out to me, that the McFlies all seem very comfortable with uh, Biff uh, working around the house, considering the fact that Biff tried to rape Lorraine, McF- uh, Lorraine Baines uh, yeah. back in 1955. Everybody seems like, oh, Biff. What a kidder. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, to their credit, it's nice of them that they were able to, uh, to put it. Well, did he like, but he was like groping her. Yeah, I guess you're right. He really was trying to rape her. It's pretty, uh, Oh, pretty Biff. Uh, don't you Biff. think that Marty uh, and doc could have come up with a better plan that didn't involve Marty trying to date rape his mom? <laughs> don't you think there was another maybe like uh maybe they have like a dry erase board and they're like all right uh let's let's pitch ideas uh, yeah. uh it's like uh, okay here's one you rape your mom uh, like, <laughs> ah, i don't know doc uh that, that one uh oh what's the matter marty chicken hey yeah. hey hey doc i will rape my mom so hard <laughs> uh, well this uh, and that whole that whole plot, you know, it, it's like so perverse. It's kind of unbelievable. You know, I, I actually don't think they could be, like they would make that into a movie these days. You know, like because it's so it's so far out there. Like all of that sexual tension, and they actually do kiss. He kisses his mom. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Um, yeah, but I think what's even more implausible to me is uh, that I'm not buying Marty McFly as an '80s hair metal guy. Uh, right, right. Doesn't that seem like like a real stretch more than anything else in the movie that Marty is like, uh, you, you know, basically like the Eddie Van Halen of his generation? But he's like the Eddie Van Halen of Hill Valley. You know, <laughs> he's he's a small town kid. You can't expect him to. You know, he's, he's not like from the streets of L.A. But his look and demeanor does not match that personality. I mean, I guess you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but right. I mean, to some degree, uh, that Marty McFly, like, are there any of Marty's uh, contemporary 80s rock stars that look like Marty McFly? <laughs> he is a nice young man. He, he is a nice young that. man. I'm just saying that if he has this, this rock star persona that he's trying to do, I think mean, he looks is a little too clean cut, I think, for that image that he's going for. So maybe, you know, maybe that's some of the conflict in Marty, you know, between like trying to prove himself as a rock star and then trying to be a responsible at all. It just seems like uh, he's type like he looks like a you know, he fits in well in the 1950s, but the uh, 80s image of hair metal, like uh, glam rock uh, slacker <laughs> that he's perceived as by the people of Hill Valley just doesn't seem to match his exterior. <laughs> That's true. Like he does. He, he is called a slacker. Yeah. Uh, that's very funny. Um, and going back and listening to uh, Marty singing uh, back, you know, in the scene where he sings "Trying to Be Good," uh, no way that's Michael J. Fox singing that. It's song. not Michael J. Fox. Not even Apparently, close. It, yeah, yeah. I guess they had wanted him to do it or something, and it was it was not working out. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Um, yeah. Going back to some of the questionable decision making that Marty McFly uh, makes uh, during these movies, um, so. 
Marty McFly is able to get uh, the parents back together, although it's they do have a close call when Lorraine and George are having their their dance. Some uh, redhead jerk comes in. And yeah, what a weird little interjection that yeah, was. Sorry, go ahead. And he, and he comes in and he just tries to cut in, and then he's dancing with Lorraine. He's dancing with her very rough. He's yeah. not a good dancer. He's dancing with her uh, way too rough. And luckily, George McFly gets the confidence over, and he comes over and he like knocks the guy to the ground like with one finger. But George McFly is becoming sort of like a terror, and I wonder if after his like reign of like punching everyone in the school, like suddenly he's going to become a bully himself. But don't you think the guy fall, falls over pretty easily? But he's kind of a small. He's like a nerdy. He's like a nerdy ginger. You know, he's the classic. <laughs> he's the classic ginger archetype. You know, he's just like got got nothing. So Marty McFly already is cutting this pretty close, and yeah. uh, the guys in the band say, uh, "Hey, can you stick around for one more song?" And yeah, he's, he's like, like okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. "You know, I should really get out of here." What are you, chicken? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he does. He does a whole musical number, and yeah. and uh, I couldn't. I couldn't believe this. And then when he shows up at the time, <laughs> that Doc says, uh, "Wait, you changed your clothes?" He's like, "Yeah, Doc. I gotta go back. Can't go back looking like this." Like, so <laughs> he's cutting his clothes. He's got like a half hour. He does a musical number and he stops to change his clothes. <laughs> this Marty McFly. Yeah. What do you do Well, I mean, that, yeah, that's, that, that's, uh, there's a, I got nothing. I got nothing. Um, and don't you think also then Marty cuts it pretty close with, uh, like, okay, oh, he's like, uh, I've got a time machine. I'll just go back 10 minutes earlier. And it's like, don't you think, like, 10 minutes? Like, that's. What about a week? Yeah, they shouldn't have, you're right. They should never have acknowledged that because it's like, why not go back, like, much earlier and save Doc's life or, like, a half hour earlier? Yeah, anything. 45 minutes earlier, you know, get, get a snack before you go. Yeah. Um, so I'm jumping around a little bit more now. I realize that uh, we said we're going to try to go about two hours on this. So I feel like we've got like a half an hour to go. So excuse me if I'm uh, jumping around uh, a bit more here. Uh, oh, that's good. <laughs> okay. So um, how about does... Um, <laughs> does doesn't Marty give George McFly some really terrible advice on how to pick up Lorraine? <laughs> like, like, uh, he's like, he's like, yeah, okay, dad. So, uh, or daddy Uh, so just go and tell her that you're her destiny and stuff like that. Like, uh, it's a, that seems like uh, really terrible advice to give somebody who's trying to pick up a girl. But it, it works. Like as soon as he gets it out, like she starts to like swoon over him. And before Marty once again decides to steal the show and, you know, pilot the skateboard into the manure truck. Yeah, what advice would you give George McFly if you were in Marty's shoes? Well, the, the, the beating up the bully thing is pretty good, but you're right that George is, um, you know, you have to, you know, in our culture, obviously, we've seen the pickup artist, so we know exactly, you know, the classic VH1 show, the pickup artist, so we know exactly how to pick up women by, you know, subtly insulting them and then, and then you know, making them crave your affirmation. Right, because in real life, doesn't it, doesn't it seem like Biff has the right idea? Right, to like be really mean and then, you know, then be really nice. I think you're right. Like Biff probably is like a Lothario. Maybe Biff has the right idea of how to how to pick up girls, but he's just before too far before his time. Or maybe he just, you know, maybe he's working like a long-term game and he just gets interrupted by this by George McFly. Yeah. Well, okay, let's Biff's long-term game where in uh 2015 uh, he ends up, uh, you know, changing the timeline and then ultimately marrying Lorraine. Um, 
Do you? Well, that's nineteen. Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So in this all in this alternate timeline, um, tell me what are the differences between nineteen eighty five Biff, who is a guy who has a real estate empire, uh, a lot of money, uh, a bad comb over, uh, a thick <laughs> accent. What are the differences between nineteen eighty five uh, Biff and current Donald Trump? <laughs> he does you know he might even have been based on donald trump like you know trump being like as big a figure in the 80s or not as big but like certainly you know a big figure in the 80s although not not as well known for his uh for his horrible hair um that's really funny and you know he like lots of you know wives with fake boob jobs um Obviously questionable real estate, um, you know, big interest in gambling. Uh, you know, you're right. It's probably the same. Maybe, maybe you've solved a very pressing question. Maybe. Uh, do you th- like how uh, Donald do you, Trump? Do you think Donald Trump had access to a sports almanac in a time machine? Do you think we're living in like the dystopic future of like someone else's reality? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is that what you're kidding? At? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That, it makes sense. It does make sense. Uh, speaking of the sports almanac, this has always bothered me. I feel like the sports almanac is far too thin to possibly contain the, the results result. from 50 years of sports. It's not even like 50 years of baseball. It's 50 years of every oh, sport to the point that Biff goes and bets on horse races and college football. Like how, <laughs> what is the font type size on in this book that they could, is, that, is that an undertaking that anyone anywhere would ever, um, you know, do to like collect every result. <laughs> this is like a pamphlet. And somehow, yeah. even if it was like, okay, NFL results from 50, 50 years of NFL results. Okay. I I'd buy that, that that would fit in that size of a book, but how like every week of college football for 50 years fits in that <laughs> one book plus horse and racing horse and race. baseball, every horse race, like, you know, one freaking horse race is like a, a book full of results. Yeah. I, I it, I mean, it boggles my mind. I don't get it. And I don't think... Well, maybe you're not thinking about futuristic book technology. Thinking futuristic book technology. It looks like a pretty uh, basic book. It doesn't see, it has a dust cover. It doesn't have a dust cover. It's not, it's not a futuristic book. It's an antique book. I love that the dust cover is a major plot point of the movie, too. Yes. And uh, instead, it was a ooh-la-la uh, instead. <laughs> uh, here's it, which happens to be the exact same size as the sports almanac. Yeah, gray sports almanac to be exact. Yeah. Um, I don't like that the in the last third of Back to the Future Two, suddenly Marty McFly becomes a ninja. What? That Marty McFly suddenly in the last third of Back to the Future Two, he spends the last third of the movie just like sneaking around. Uh, like this is not a plot point at all in Back to the Future One, but most of Back to the Future Two, uh, the, all the scenes in 1955 take place of Marty, and he is like under a desk trying to take something out of somebody's pocket. He's in the back seat of a car. He's like standing oh, he's he, concert when he like does the thing where he hits the three guys with the sandbag. Yeah, he's like. On, he's uh, like right behind somebody and nobody can see him like I don't understand why Marty doesn't have more of a sense of urgency in any in any of these uh, like I know Marty he's only a 17 year old kid he's afraid of getting in trouble or whatever but I mean why not let the day play out let Marty go back to 1985 and then just go to Biff's house with a gun and say Biff <laughs> give me the almanac 
And he'll say, uh, hey, I don't want any trouble, butthead. Like, uh, it's true. There's no urgency to getting the almanac back, right? Like, they, they, they could get it back the next day. They just need to get it back. Like he's, like, under the desk of Principal Strickland. Is like, oh, I don't want the principal to find me. Like, <laughs> like, this is life or death here. Like, okay, I guess conceivably the principal could see Calvin Klein and then go and pull him off, yank him off the stage uh, and say, you're going to detention, buddy. I caught you under my desk. Um, but really, Marty is not moving with the sense of urgency you would think he would. Right. Uh, also, Calvin Klein in 1955 really makes himself, uh, really ingratiates himself with, with the uh, high school class of 1955 pretty quickly, pretty seamlessly. Right. Well, right, right. Like if all of a sudden, like if you were in high school and all of a sudden some kid just showed up one day and was like in the middle of everything, like it seems it seems rather uh, implausible as well. Um, but he's so cool and he like unseats the class bully, you know, like he immediately it's, it's like with with gorillas, you know, if if one male gets rid of the, uh, the top male, then he's the top male. But he's not enrolled in any classes at the school. <laughs> I know. He's just like some kid <laughs> off the street. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like, yeah, no one asks where he's from. All they know, he's like a sailor of some variety. Right. Like, isn't that what he claims is that he's a, a sailor? Coast Guard, I thought. Coast Guard, right. Uh, so then also, um, doesn't Marty's uh, taste in 1950s clothes change a lot in the 48 hours that take place between Back to the Future 1 and Back to the Future 2? <laughs> Is that right? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, he's wearing like a, like, um, like a leather jacket. Like he's like James Dean all of a sudden in Back to the Future 2. Um, well you know he's learned a lot he's gone on a lot of uh, I guess I guess he hasn't learned very much has he been to the future yeah he's been to the future I guess so but he's only been to the future for like 36 hours or not even yeah you know that's traumatic Uh, don't you think it was pretty whorish of Lorraine Baines to take Calvin Klein's pants off after he got hit by the car it's unreal what a slut his mom is, and like she's like immediately throwing herself at him. You know, this is yeah, this is the fifties. You know, you think she'd have a little bit more, you know, discretion, a little more decency. I mean, yeah, some exactly. kid gets hit by a car, and she's taking his pants off. And who knows what happened the first night of the dance? You know, with George, my God, yeah, who knows what she did with George McFly? And maybe well, she tries. She tries to take advantage of Marty in the car. Her and George McFly are probably two peas in a pod. I mean, what what is he doing up in a tree with binoculars? He's a peeping tom. Is this a first time offense? For do you think for George McFly, or do you think he's routinely like he knows like the changing schedule of all the girls in the neighborhood? It looks like he's you know a career pervert. Yeah, that's maybe but she's she's a pervert too. Maybe like yeah, George Lorraine. Yeah. So they just have this like really kinky sex life. That's the subtext of the movie. I think so. Yeah. I don't I don't know what's going on here. Right. Um but yeah, it's very it's very interesting. Um I I think I always thought that this is a bit of a paradox. Um and I feel like we're we're definitely uh uh running short on time and I want to get to some people's comments. So th- there might be have to be some things that we uh leave for Back to the Future Cast Part 2. Oh yeah, the sequel to the Future the Cast. Sequel. Um but this is one of the biggest paradoxes and this bothers me a lot. Um so in 1955, Marty is singing uh at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance and sure. he, he performs Johnny Be Good and uh cousin uh Marvin Berry, 
uh, who gets his hand cut up. Now, I don't really understand how the keys got locked in the trunk of the car since the right. trunk of the car was open, right? And then Biff's uh, henchmen throw Marty in the trunk and close it. Now, I don't know where they would have gotten the keys from to put them in there. And Marty McFly is like, hey, the keys are in here. And like those guys, I know those guys are high and they're smoking, they're smoking reefer, <laughs> but I don't know how high they had to be to put the keys to the car in the trunk. <laughs> People are so cavalier about car safety in these movies. It's just outrageous. I guess so. So the keys to the car are in the trunk. Uh, and Biff, doesn't Biff Sr. somehow like pop up and Biff Jr., like Biff all, like future Biff, like suddenly appear in, in, in 1950s Biff's car? Yeah, well, I think anyway. it was a convertible. Yeah, he could have. Oh, uh, that's true. That's true. Just, he, he doesn't have a cane though. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so, um, Marty McFly performs Johnny B. Good, and then Marvin Berry calls up his cousin, Chuck Berry, uh, right. and says, Hey, uh, hey, Chuck, it's your cousin Marvin. Uh, and, you know that new sound you've been looking for? Listen to this. And he holds the phone out. So my question for you is, does Marty McFly end up inventing, uh, rock and roll? And the yeah, song yeah. uh, Johnny Be Good. And does Chuck Berry steal that from Marty? Um, it definitely is uh, an insidious implication, right? Because I, um, well, my, I, I, I don't care. Look, I don't care who gets credit for what. If Marty McFly did it, my concern is. So does that mean in the all along, Marty McFly traveled back to 1955 and invented rock and roll, and then Chuck Berry stole it. Um, does this happen this way all along? Is that where Chuck Berry got the credit from? Or is it a little bit like Doc with the time machine uh, that he hears the finished product, and this only helps him accelerate getting this song out there? Right. Right. That's interesting. And the other, you know, and... and um you know, Marty calls himself Darth Vader in the in his uh, when he like goes and, and implants the dream in George's head or whatever. Right. So, you know, you do wonder if maybe maybe that influenced the creation of Star Wars. I don't know, but I think it has to be the first thing, because if it's the second thing and Marty actually does give Chuck Berry the information to be able to make this song, uh, then I don't think then the movie could happen. Because uh, I don't then I, then everything then there would be no alternate 1985 and it would be sort of like the Terminator where Marty is his own father sort of that that sort of thing where uh, all along in in the Terminator that John Connor is the father of or the other guy is the father of John Connor all along. Uh, is that true? Yeah, like I, Wait, Reese is John Connor's father. Who's John Connor's father? Reese. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. The, the guy from the first movie. Yeah, 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 so yeah. he's, but all along, he's John Connor's father. And so that. Oh, right. John Connor sends him back. And John Connor sends him back. Yeah. So, right. the, in, in this scenario, there cannot be a, a 1985 in the beginning of the movie, because that would mean Marty McFly always goes back to 1955. And then this goes back to free will versus fate. And then it was always Marty's fate to go back to 1955 so they could invent the rock and roll. And Chuck Berry could take his song. And so I feel like they can't have it both ways. But maybe, you know, before this, maybe there was like one first, you know, there's one first version where someone else in, entirely invents Johnny Be Good, you know, and Chuck Berry steals it from that person. Um, and then, and then, you know, as a result, Marty McFly, you know, learns about it and then in, 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 you know, 1980s, then goes back and creates it. And then Chuck Berry steals it from him. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I just don't know. 
Um, because once Marty McFly has gone back, there's an infinite loop of Marty McFly's, right? Yeah. So it just needs to happen once. There just needs to be like some original thing that sets him off. Yeah, I guess so. Um, all right, so let me let's get into some of these uh, comments that I want to talk about. Uh, I'm just going through my notes real quick. Didn't really get to a lot of my stuff about Back to the Future Three, um, but that's perfect. We'll save it for the the, the threequel. <laughs> the threequel. All right, so, yeah. all right, so I have some comments from people. Uh, so here's a little bit of what people were saying. Okay, Stephen Thomas Drabeck says, uh, "I'm wondering if either of you feel like you could have been friends with your parents when you were in high school." Attraction for your mother aside. Well, I love that was like my favorite mo- like part of the, you know, that's what's so great about the first movie is he goes back and he like, you know, he sees his dad as like a kid. You know, he see he like it's this totally different way of looking at your father. Like so, somehow you, like, you suddenly see him for like as a person rather than just sort of this authority figure. Um, and I thought that was such a cool invention of the, you know, of the movie. And, and you know, obviously that's sort of what, um, you know what uh, you have to ask yourself is like, well, how would this impact my relationship with my father? I think I would have liked my dad kind of nerdy, but you know, I think we would have gotten along well. I think it would have been fun, but I think I would be so scared of disrupting the space time continuum. I don't think I could have ever enjoyed a friendship with my 17 year old father. What, but what happened, you know, and the real thing is you find out he's a pervert, you know, you find out your dad is a peeping. Well, you find out that your mom is a big whore. (laughs) <laughs> even yeah. worse yeah that probably is worse <laughs> okay uh how about from uh michael kazakoff uh says uh, can i get a shout out for monty mcfly apparently this guy he wants a shout out who's monty <laughs> no this is, a, this is a good friend of mine um jay fisher says uh do you think that george and lorraine mcfly will ever figure out that calvin klein the guy that brought them together is their son marty i can't believe they don't see the resemblance when marty grows up plus the calvin klein name darth vader from planet vulcan reference the nobody call me chicken stuff <laughs> no yeah. i don't think that they would know that from calvin klein he did not have that fatal flaw but that's true but for George McFly and Lorraine McFly and for Biff at what point do they start to say uh, hey you know um, Calvin Klein looks a lot like our son and now that I think of it especially for Lorraine who goes to visit Marty at Doc's house you know my son who looks a lot like Calvin Klein is hanging out with that old crazy scientist and if I recall Calvin Klein hung out with an old crazy scientist yeah yeah that's true Lorraine Lorraine doesn't go to she meets Doc right so at least Lorraine like maybe that explains the genesis of their friendship and for Biff Um, especially uh, all of this stuff with Calvin Klein and a time machine and uh and a sports almanac and and all of these things like you would think that if would <laughs> would have some sort of a memory especially upon hearing that oh there's some kid or crazy scientist comes around looking for this book plus calvin klein is the kid that stole the book right he never puts it together you're absolutely right it's all it's all in biff's head and maybe that is the back to the future reboot you know when biff sort of suddenly all all puts it together and and you know himself does some time traveling there's not so much a back to the future reboot but there is a a game that was currently released which i believe they are treating as canon we have not on this uh, on this podcast but it is uh i think there are some a lot of the voices from the movies are used and it's put put out by universal so uh there's what what is 
like a, a like it's a PlayStation a, game? Yeah, you can. It's weird. It's not like you can't buy it in stores, but you can download it from PlayStation Network. I've played the first chapter, and it's very good. It's very a lot of fun. It is. Yes. That's exciting. Maybe I'll play it in advance of our next podcast. Okay, for Back to the, for Back to the Future Two cast, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> then we will get get into the video game. I think that's a good idea. Um, um, but it does. It is crazy that like you know, I mean, you think like George would be like maybe even a little jealous. Like you know, Lorraine, are you still seeing that that guy? Calvin, well, because you're this kid of ours looks just like him and nothing like me. Well, right. I think that would be the question. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Antonio Mazzaro, uh, he writes a comment that says, serious question. What incarnation did the good doctor and Mrs. Clara Clayton do to their son, Vern, to turn him into such a creepster? And I'll post a link to this. I watched this yesterday in doing my research. So in Back to the Future 3, uh, Doc's kids and like he's like, Marty, meet my kids, Jules and Vern. Um, and you know nothing sets a kid up for uh, an amazing life than like being named Vern. Like, although maybe <laughs> Vern with an E, if it, you know, if it is. The- <laughs> although maybe they live in the past where there's no like uh, everybody's like, hey Vern. Um, there's no earnest references. <laughs> but so anyway, so they introduce these kids, and while Doc is talking, like the the older kid sort of like motions like to Marty, and then he points at his crotch. Really, it's really creepy and disturbing. I don't. Know, I can't believe that they that they left that in the movie. Wow, that's amazing. It's really, it's really weird. What a weirdo kid. He was like the young George McFly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's very interesting. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, so um, <laughs> Brooks W. Stowoff says, uh, "Who has a tougher time growing facial hair, Boston Rob or Michael J. Fox?" Oh, does Michael J. Fox have patchy facial hair? I would imagine. I wouldn't think that Michael J. Fox would be able to grow a very good beard. But what about Seamus McFly's? Uh, doesn't he have like a, a great mustache? He has a mustache, but I think that might be yeah. might be fake. Wait, now, I thought we weren't talking about production here. In my, in my mind, Seamus McFly has a huge bushy mustache. Okay, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Matthew McCormick wants to, us to play a. Uh, he's got a ding, marry, kill for us. Oh wow! Uh, ding, marry, kill with uh, Jennifer from 1985. Now I guess you could take your pick as to which Either Jennifer, Jennifer. Um, okay. uh, Lorraine in 1955, or uh, Marlene, Marty's daughter in 2015. Now, did you? Wow. Did Marty strike you as uh, such a narcissist that he has to name all his kids after him? <laughs> Marty and Marlene. Well, obviously, like when his music career ended, you know, he he like sort of like voyaged inward. You know, he traveled inward and became like self-loathing. Yeah, and that's manifested itself in you know self-aggrandizement. Aggrandizement. Um, I'm going to go with um, Lorraine. I'm going to be honest. Well, uh, Lorraine is what. Oh, it's a ding, Mary kill, Stephen. It's got to be the ding. She's like a crazy sex fiend, yeah. you know. Mary, uh, Jennifer, obviously, because you know Elizabeth Shue, my God, and um, kill the other one. Yeah, that is that's the correct answer. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct. But you would marry Jennifer one. I but I would marry the different. Uh, I would marry different Jennifer than you would. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Matthew McCormick wants to know about the, uh, flying train is one of the most random Hollywood endings to one of the best trilogy ever. Uh, saying doc was supposed to be sacrificing everything by staying in 1885 with Clara. Then it turns out he somehow just built a new time machine. Anyway, where'd he get the plutonium from in 1885? I, I hear I think you. They didn't need it. I think they don't need, isn't it like it runs on steam? Yeah, but he, he's 
Good luck getting steam to power 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. Well, you know, like maybe all of his, all, you know, first we've learned that you don't have to be going 88 miles an hour. So maybe Doc uh, perfected his calculations and built a time machine uh, based on a steam flux capacitor. You, you, yeah, a better, a better, uh, and plus you can, you can definitely get, um, he, yeah, I don't know. He can, he can clearly get the, um, I don't know. I got nothing. Doc's got to be going on about 100 years old by the end of Back to the Future 3, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> because Nobody had the rejuvenating treatment in, in uh, 2015. He did so have the rejuvenating, got- but just like uh, his actual age has got to be like 100. Yeah, he's, he's got to be pretty old. And apparently, the boys, can, still- the boys can still swim. Yeah, well, you know, there's, there's a high incident. Maybe that's what's wrong with young Vern is he's autistic. <laughs> oh, well, there's a high incidence of autism with when older men have. Uh, anyway, that's that's not you know, a little bit, of, a little bit of a downer. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, uh, but uh, we don't have a diagnosis. But there's something definitely that's that's wrong with um, well, at least one of Doc's kids. The boy's not uh, right. Yeah, right. Uh, um, so yeah, I don't know. How does how does Doc get the? Maybe it makes he took no the plutonium sense. From, from the. The car, you know, there's still a car in the past, isn't there? Yeah, but Marty needs it to get back to the 1885. No, but there's two cars. Yeah, and then uh, he, Marty took one to go back to the future. Oh, right, right, right. And the That's other the one, leap. Marty needs to create a paradox. And right, uh, right. you're not thinking fourth dimensionally, Fishback. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we don't know. We don't know how that how that goes. Uh, <laughs> and. Yeah, I mean, there's so many other things that I could that I could bring up, but I just feel like um, may, maybe we should just uh, you know call call it a podcast and save save some stuff. Like I've been crossing things off my list as we've gone through them, but there's still so many other things that I could get into. Um, but I just I don't think this would ever end. Um, well, yeah, well, we'll do, we'll do part two. Okay. Well, we'll leave some things for back to the future cast part two. And uh, a big part of that is we want to hear what you guys had to say about some of these discussion points that we started on this podcast. And then of course, we'll get back to you guys. We'll talk about more about back to the future three and, uh, you know, all things back to the future, uh, that are coming up. And one other back to the futures note, uh, that, you know, in the year 2015, the Cubs uh, end up beating uh, Miami in the World Series, which uh, at the time of the film was made, there was no baseball team uh, in South Florida. And of course, the Florida Marlins came into Major League Baseball in 1992 and will soon be moving to Miami and as of next year be the Miami Marlins. Um, And furthermore, I just read an article of some possible baseball realignment that might send Miami to the American League. So it is very possible in 2015 there could be a Miami Cubs World Series, although the logo for the Miami team is an alligator and the real team is a Marlin. Okay, so just uh, just throw it out there. Hey, the future is what you make of it, Stephen. (laughs) <laughs> so um and uh this would not be a back to the future podcast if we did not uh throw the word future around in every single uh sentence which they do uh throughout all three of the movies well and and the word heavy i'm glad i got it in there once because uh, it really it really makes an appearance in a lot in the movies in, in a really grating and heavy-handed way great scott <laughs> all right so so steven 
uh, I will see. I will see you in the future. Uh, yes. on a Back to the Future podcast. If anybody has not seen the Back to the Future movies or wants to re- revisit them, that they I hear they have a pretty slick looking uh, 25th year anniversary Blu-ray edition available on Amazon.com, and uh, I know a great website to visit Amazon.com through. If anybody has not seen the Back to the Future movies and has made it through two hours of our podcast, you know. Mazel tov. <laughs> yeah. If that, if that is your case, let us know. Uh, yeah. And so, Stephen, uh, thank you very much for uh, these have been the greatest two hours of my life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good. I was I was here as well. Um, also in the room. <laughs> and, and, uh, so uh, yeah, re- really fun talking about Back to the Future with you, and uh, looking forward to uh, more Back to the Future cast in the future. Woo! To be continued.